We are about to open up to John, and we are in the last chapter of John. And, and I just uh, was reflecting as we were singing there on these songs that, that we have just seen Jesus for the last year and a half through the Gospel of John. We've seen, seen him in his glory. We, we have seen that there is no one like him. And we've seen that he is the light of the world that shines into our lives and, and, and shows us what's there. And by his grace, he, he, he has helped us to not run away from that shining into our hearts, but, but to run to him and, and to realize that, that we need to see what's there so that we can be, we be forgiven and restored and, and have our joy restored in him. And, and so I'm just thankful this morning for this book. And as we open to the last chapter of John, uh, I just have this, this sense of excitement like, like, what is it going to be? <laughs> you know, we, we have seen who Jesus is week after week after week for a year and a half. And, and, and as I opened up to study this week, I, I'm just asking myself, John, what are you going to say? Who is Jesus? What's the last picture you're going to give us? And I'm excited for us to see how John concludes this book today. Before we open it, let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to bless the, the preaching of his word and, and the hearing of his word today. Father, we come and, and we thank you so much that we get to worship together this morning. You've saved us, Lord. Salvation belongs to you. We did nothing to earn it. There was nothing in us that, that caused you to, to look at us and say that, that for some reason you should save us, Lord. In fact, everything in us called out for condemnation. And yet you have saved us, Lord. We are yours now, and we can't explain it. There's no reason for it except that you chose to love us and you chose to be gracious to us. And Lord, now, instead of an eternity facing us apart from you in hell and with the punishment of our sin, we have an eternity of hope and of life and of being in your glorious presence with glorified bodies and a glorious creation Lord, we don't deserve it, and we praise you this morning and thank you that you were gracious to us and have saved us and that you sent your Son to make a way. Lord, we thank you that that you gave us the right to be called children of God. We were not born of the will of man, but born of your will. We praise you that you've put us in your flock. Lord, we pray now as we open your word that your spirit would as we just saying, shine into the night of our hearts. Show us what's there, Lord. Search us, know us, see if there's any grievous way in us and lead us in your way. Lord, we pray that You would help us to hear and to understand and to receive and to respond and to apply your word. We thank you for the gift it is to us. And we thank you that that this book, in this book you've spoken to us and you have revealed to us the person and work and glory of Jesus Christ. Show us who he is today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So church family, when you look through the scriptures, um, something that you realize is that God consistently uses um, one metaphor 
uh, in particular to describe who we are. Uh, as you go from the Old Testament through the New Testament, there's, there's one striking image that God consistently uses to, to tell us who we are. And, and that image is that we are his sheep. We're his sheep. We're, we're a flock. And you have to ask, why does God decide to call us sheep? Now, I have heard that sheep are really dumb. I've heard that sheep are really dumb. I've never confirmed that in any personal way, but... but just heard that. And, but but I, don't, I don't think that's what God's getting at, though. When, when, when he says you're sheep, I don't think God's saying you guys are just so stupid that, that you're, you're sheep. I don't think that's what he's getting at there. Now, sheep are also very cute. I mean, they're very cuddly, and, and their wool is very soft. But I don't think that God looks at his people and says, you are such a cute little cuddly bunch. I just want to <laughs> snuggle you. And, and, and so I don't think that's why he's calling us sheep. I think that why God is calling us sheep is because if you think about sheep, you realize one thing stands out, that sheep bring nothing to the table. Sheep are just absolutely helpless creatures. You know, sheep can't feed themselves. Sheep can't protect themselves. Sheep don't know where they're going. If one runs off a cliff, the rest of them just follow off the cliff. They have no idea what they're doing. Sheep, if one falls over, they can, they're just there. They're just on their side. They need someone to come and pick them back up and put them back on their own four feet. They can't do it themselves. Sheep are just in every way absolutely, utterly helpless creatures. And God looks at us, he looks at his people, and he says, you are my sheep. He's saying, he's saying to us, you're helpless. You, you, you can't do anything on your own, and you need a shepherd. And you need a shepherd. And and God says, I am your shepherd. Jesus comes and he declares in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. You've had had bad shepherds that have led you astray, but I'm the good shepherd who who lays down his life for his sheep. And, And here's what we know, that we all like sheep have gone astray. We all saw sin, and instead of letting God, our shepherd, love us and protect us and feed us and satisfy us, we all went after our sin. And just like sheep that just go after something, they fall off a cliff, we we all went after our sin, and we just were walking towards the cliff, walking towards our death, and and we deserved it because we we rejected God as our shepherd. We rejected his love. And, and as we were going that way, Jesus comes and he says, no, I am the good shepherd and I'm going to lay down my life for these sheep. And Jesus comes and he lives as a sheep that always follows God's way. And then he dies as a sheep who went astray. He took our death and, and, and John looked at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for us. And, and, and he says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And, and so think about when is the first time that you heard the voice of Christ and you followed him? When, when you heard him speak to you when, you, when you heard him say that I love you and I laid down my life for you and trust in me, when that moment in your life, you became part of God's flock. And Jesus says that once you're a part of God's flock, no one can snatch you out of his hand. You're firm there forever. You're part of his flock. 
And so we praise Jesus as our good shepherd. And we have seen in John, since John chapter 10, we have seen him be the good shepherd, protecting his people, laying down his life for his people, and then taking his life back up again in glory and in power, showing that he has paid the penalty for sin. No one will ever snatch you out of his hand if you are in Jesus' flock. But, but now that we are in his flock, you know, we're in John chapter 21, and like I said, I, I open up, what, what, is, what is John going to say? And, and what we need to realize is, is that John wants us to continue to meditate on Jesus as our shepherd, and, and we need to remember that once we're in his flock, it doesn't change the fact that we are still sheep. Like, we are still helpless. We still desperately need his shepherding care in our lives. Jesus is not a good shepherd who lays down his life for us, brings us in the flock, and then, and then we don't need to think about Jesus anymore. No, we're still sheep. We still desperately need him to feed us. We still desperately need him to direct us. We still desperately need him as our shepherd. And in John chapter 21, John concludes his gospel by teaching us Jesus is not only the good shepherd who laid down his life for you, but he is the chief shepherd. He's the chief shepherd who will perfectly care for you until the day he returns. You know, John chapter 21, John just subtly emphasizes, you'll see it as we read at the very end of the text, that Jesus is not going to stay on the earth. He's going to leave and he's going to come back. And John wants us to know in this age, between when he leaves and when he comes back, that he is still our shepherd. He's our chief shepherd. He, he shepherds us. He cares for us. And he's going to perfectly care for us until the day that he returns in glory. And so this morning, we see that Jesus is our chief shepherd. And in John chapter 21, we're going to see four ways that Jesus shepherds his sheep. Four ways Jesus shepherds his sheep. And so if you're not already there, you can turn to John 21. Four ways that Jesus shepherds his sheep. And the first way in John 21 is that Jesus feeds his sheep. Jesus feeds his sheep. And so let's read, starting in verse 1, and see how Jesus feeds his sheep. John chapter 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples didn't know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they weren't far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. And when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, 
the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This section of text begins by telling us that Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples. So let's remember, Jesus has died and he has risen again. And, and he has revealed himself to the disciples now two times. Right? First, on the Sunday of his resurrection, he came to them in a locked room and he, and he showed them that he was alive. And, and we remember someone was not there that day. Right? Who, who was absent from the disciples? It was Thomas, and, and so Thomas says, no way, he's not alive. But then the next week, next week, Jesus does it again with Thomas there, and Thomas realizes he is alive, and he, he not only realizes he's alive, he realizes this, this Jesus is not just a man. This, this is my Lord and my God. And, and, and that's what we saw last week, Thomas confessing Jesus as my Lord and my God. Now, now we don't know here how long it's been since that climactic moment. But here's the reality, and, and you guys know this. You, you, have these, you have these times in life when, when something big happens, something significant happens, and then, and then what happens? Life continues on, doesn't it? Like, like time keeps moving, life keeps going, and the reality is the disciples need to eat some food. <laughs> they, they need to eat. And so, so Peter comes and, and he says, guys, let's go fishing. We, we, don't, we don't know where Jesus is right now. We, we know he's alive, but we don't really know what to do, and so let's go fishing. And so a bunch of the disciples get in the boat and they, they go fishing. And, you know, the experience that night when they fished is a lot like the experience I have every time I fish, which is they didn't catch anything. <laughs> they caught nothing. I, I don't understand fishing, Tyler and Wes. I don't understand it. You just go and you catch nothing all night long. And so that, that was their experience. And, and they're still hungry. And as day is breaking, they, they hear, as far as they know, just a man calling from the shore. They don't know who it is, but they, they hear someone call out and say, Children! Did you catch any fish last night? And they tell him no, and, and he says, try that side of the boat. Now, I'm sure the disciples felt a little bit annoyed by that. I mean, I mean that, that, they've been fishing all night, and this guy comes and, and, and says, just try that side of the boat. And they, they probably scoffed it, and, and then they just they said, well, why not? And so, so they dropped their nets. And to their surprise, suddenly this net is completely loaded with large fish. And in that moment, John immediately recognizes it's the Lord. It's Jesus. And, and, and very similar to, to how we see John and Peter often in this, in this gospel, John recognizes first it's the Lord, but then Peter jumps out of the boat. And, and he starts just wading his way through the water to get to Jesus. And he leaves the rest of the disciples to do all the work of getting that net back to the shore. And so they're coming back to the shore. Peter's going to Jesus. And when they get to the shore, what do they find Jesus doing? He's cooking. We had a great campfire the other night. And Jesus made a campfire. And he, he is cooking fish and bread. And, and he says, bring the fish you just caught. And, and, and Jesus makes them breakfast. He cooks breakfast for them. 153 fish, and Jesus provides his hungry disciples with this, this feast on the beach. He feeds his disciples. And John, and John says, he, he concludes again by saying that this is the third time Jesus was revealed to the disciples. And, and just like other times when Jesus was revealed in the gospel, he's not just saying they saw him. 
He's saying that when they saw him, they saw something of his glory. He was revealed to them. And, and what was revealed about Jesus to them here? That, that he's a provider. That, that he's faithful. That, that he, he's going to feed them. He, he's, he's not going to leave them hungry. He's not going to leave them empty. He's not going to leave them wanting. He, he serves them an abundant feast. He is their shepherd who nourishes and satisfies them. And this is a picture of what Jesus does for us. We, we can't catch anything. And Jesus comes and he provides for us what we can't provide for ourselves. And he, and he feeds us. He nourishes our souls. He satisfies our souls. A question at this point that each of us need to ask ourselves is this. Where are you casting your net? Where are you casting your net? Because Jesus has given us clear instructions where to cast our nets if we're looking for food. In John 6, Jesus fed the crowds, didn't he? He fed them bread and fish, just like here. And he said there, he declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger. And he went on this, this discourse showing them what he means by saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm the bread who gives myself for the world. My, you drink my my blood, and you eat my flesh, and you will have life. And he's referring to his cross. And then he says, the words that I've spoken to you are spirit and life. The words that I've spoken. So, so Jesus' words about himself, that he's the bread of life, this is where we cast our nets. Are you casting your net in the word of Christ to, 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 to satisfy your hunger? To, to feed your soul. Where are you cast, are, casting your nets? Are you casting them in the word of Christ? Or, or are you laboring somewhere else? Are, are you seeking to satisfy your heart and nourish your heart somewhere else? We, we turn to so many things. We turn to entertainment. We, we turn to relationships. We turn to money. We turn to success. We turn to career advancement. But, but if we don't cast our nets where Jesus tells us to, then just like the disciples, we're not going to catch anything. We're just going to be left hungry. We're going to be left wanting. But if we cast our nets in the scriptures day by day by day, and we, we look to the Bible and we look to Jesus through the scriptures, we will receive the abundant provision of Jesus for us. He, he feeds his sheep. He's a shepherd who feeds us. Cast your nets here in the word of God every day of your life. Well, Jesus not only feeds his sheep, he, he also restores his sheep. Jesus restores his sheep. Look in verses 15 through 17. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So once the disciples finish breakfast, Jesus engages Peter in a hard conversation. Is a hard conversation with him. Let's remember how Peter's story has unfolded. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus told his disciples in an upper room that one of them was going to betray him, 
And then he said that he had to go away and that they couldn't follow him. And, and, and Peter protested. He said, why can't I follow you? I'll lay down my life for you, Jesus. Jesus said, Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. Now, we know from the other Gospels that Peter, even then, said, no, I won't. (laughs) Even if they all deny you, I won't deny you. And when he said they all, he he means John and James and Thomas and Nathaniel. He He says, even if they deny you, I won't deny you. When the moment of Jesus' arrest came, Peter was true to his word. They're coming to arrest Jesus, and what does Peter do? He pulls out a sword, he cuts off a guy's ear, right? Like, he's, he's ready to fight. But Jesus says, put that sword away, Peter. I have a cup to drink. And as it dawns on Peter that Jesus is actually going to allow himself to be arrested and to be tried and to be condemned, everything changes for Peter. And the fear of man takes over in Peter's heart. And he denies Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. Now Jesus has risen from the dead. And he has appeared to his disciples. And and as he has appeared, he has proclaimed, peace be with you. He has come and proclaimed peace to them. But until now, he's, he's not dealt directly with Peter's denials that night, has he? This, this, is, this is like the elephant in the room when Jesus and Peter are together. Peter denied Jesus three times. And so in this scene, Jesus is restoring Peter. He, he never mentions the denials, but he doesn't have to. Notice a few things. He, he doesn't call him Peter, does he? He says, Simon, son of John. Simon, son of John. <laughs> Simon, son of John. Peter is the name that Jesus gave to Simon when Simon Peter confessed, you are the Christ. He said, from now on you are Peter, which means rock, and on this rock I will build my church. But in this moment, Jesus says, Simon. Because Peter was living like Jesus had never come to him and transformed his life. Notice also what he asks, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? And, and, and I believe what he's referring to when he says more than these is, is not, it's not fishing gear on the beach, it's not bread and fish, it's, it's the other disciples. Because Peter said, even if they all deny you, I won't deny you. Peter had boasted that he loved Jesus more than the other disciples. And, and now Jesus calls him on that. Do you, do you love me more than these? Do you really? And notice he doesn't ask him once, he doesn't ask him twice, but he asks him three times in a row. And at that third time, Peter is grieved. He's grieved by the painful reminder of what he's done. He's grieved by by knowing in this moment that that he had denied his Lord and his master whom he loves. And and notice, Peter doesn't defend himself anymore. He simply says, Lord, you know my heart. You know that I love you. He doesn't say, let me prove it to you. I'll die for you. He says, Lord, you you know what's inside me. You know I love you. And And that's all I can say. I can't say anything else because I know that my actions did not show it. But but you know what you've done in me. You know, this is like Aslan ripping the dragon skin off of Eustace to, to, to get to 
that, that little boy again because this is a painful and hard conversation for Peter, but it's also loving and it's merciful. Jesus is restoring Peter from his sin. He's leading him to a place of godly grief over what he has done. And he's reinstating him to the ministry he called him to. Peter will still be the rock on which the church is built. And his confession will still be the confession on which the church is built. And his sin will not derail that. Church family, there will never be a time in your life when you fall down and Jesus doesn't come and pick you up. If you're part of his flock, there will never be a time where you fall and he doesn't come to you because, again, sheep can't pick themselves back up. You're helpless, but he will come to you every single time and pick you back up. We don't even know how much Jesus comes to us and picks us back up. He forgives us over and over and over and over again. And though the process might be painful, he will restore you. He'll lead you to feel the weight of your sin. He'll lead you to a point where, where you are grieved over it and you are hurt that, that you're seeing what's, what's ugly inside of you, but, but he's going to restore you through it. And, and, he's, and he's going to call you back to his purpose for your life. There will never be a time when he doesn't come to restore you. He, he, he laid down his life for the penalty of your sins. So he's not going to leave you in them when you sin. So he, he restores his sheep. He feeds his sheep, he restores his sheep, and, and then third, Jesus leads his sheep. He leads his sheep, and, and this is going to be in verses 18 through 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that's going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. Yet Jesus did not say to him that he was not to die. But if it's my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So after restoring Peter from the sin of denying Christ, Jesus immediately reveals to Peter that a day is coming when Peter will die for Christ. He he restores him from that denial, and then he immediately says, a day is coming when you will lay down your life for me. Jesus shows Peter how his life will end. He will die the same way Jesus died. He will have his, his arms stretched out, and he will be led where he does not want to go. And this death, see in verse 19, this death, will glorify God. This kind of death will glorify God. And and Jesus shows Peter the end, and then he says, follow me. He shows him that cross that he will bear, and then he says, follow me. 
Now, it's hard to understand exactly why, but Peter feels compelled at this moment to, to look over at John and to ask Jesus about John. Now, from what I can tell reading the Gospel of John, John and Peter are, are pretty close. They, they seem to spend a lot of time together. They, they, they are together often. They, they were together at the resurrection. They were sitting together at the Lord's Supper in the upper room and and. And so maybe it's just the fact that they are so close that, and they've been so close to Jesus. And, and as Peter hears this, he just, he just can't help but ask, what about him? I mean, I'm going to die for you. What about him? And, and Jesus just rebukes him. And he says, that has nothing to do with you, Peter. You follow me. Those are the last words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. You follow me. Now, as for John, John tells us what happens to him. While Peter goes on and dies a martyr's death, John lives a long life. While Peter is called to testify to Jesus by laying down his life, John is called to testify to Jesus by writing this gospel. And what we see in these verses is that Jesus is leading his sheep. Though their ministries are different, their calling is the same. Their calling is, follow me. And this is what Jesus says to each of us. He says, you follow me. He says, don't, don't look at what I'm doing with others. Don't worry about how I'm leading someone else. I am your shepherd. You follow me. And this, this is really um, freeing and helpful to see that, that Jesus has a unique calling on each of our lives. We're not all called to do the same thing. We're not all called to be the same way. We are all called to follow Jesus as our shepherd. And however he leads, whether it leads to laying down your life for Jesus or whether it leads to writing books about Jesus, either way, he's going to lead you to glorify God. It's going to be leading you to the glory of God, leading you to fulfill our purpose here, which is to pursue the glory of God and the joy of all people. Jesus is going to lead you that way. and It's going to look different for each one of us but it is a calling that will magnify the greatness of Christ. And we don't need to understand it all, and we don't need to shrink back from what it might cost, because Jesus is our shepherd, and we can trust him with our lives. And so hear the final words of Jesus in the Gospel of John. You follow me. He leads his sheep. He will lead you, and he will use your life to glorify God. So Jesus feeds his sheep, Jesus restores his sheep, and Jesus leads his sheep. But before we look at the fourth and final way that Jesus shepherds his sheep, we need to ask, how does Jesus do this now? How does Jesus carry out this shepherding ministry when he's not here with us anymore? And this leads us to the fourth way that Jesus shepherds his sheep. Jesus uses his sheep. Now, in every other way in this chapter, what, what Jesus does with his sheep is, is very much like what a shepherd would do with his sheep. He, he feeds them, he restores them, he leads them, but I've never heard of a shepherd saying to his sheep, you're in charge now. Now, 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 now you feed my sheep, and, and, and now, now you go ahead, and, and, and I'm just going to take a break here. Now, that's, not, that's not what Jesus is doing, obviously. He's not taking a break, but he is calling his sheep. He's saying, I'm going to use you now. I'm, I'm going to use you now. Let's just see this. In the text. We see it played out in several ways. And, and so first, in this opening scene where, where Jesus feeds them, 
Let me ask you a question. Who provides the fish? Yeah, Jesus provides the fish, right? Now, who labors to get the fish? The disciples do, don't they? Jesus provides it. There's no way any of the disciples could say, look what we, look what we caught, Jesus. Look what we did. No, he, he is the provider. He's cooking the breakfast, but they are casting their net, and they're pulling it up, and they're hauling it in, and they're unloading it. They are laboring for this food that Jesus is providing. That, that, that's one picture we see. Then, in, in, in Peter's restoration, we didn't, we didn't talk about it because I want to talk about it now. Look, what is it that he calls him to do? Feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. These are, these are Peter's instruction, Jesus' instructions to Peter. You shepherd my sheep. You feed my lambs. Immediately after feeding his disciples, he turns around and says, you feed my sheep. He feeds them, then he says, you feed them. Jesus was going to ascend to heaven, and from then on, Peter and the other disciples would be the ones through whom Jesus feeds his sheep. And he did that first through their eyewitness testimony, but then he inspired them through the Spirit to write the Scriptures, and and now Jesus feeds his sheep through the apostles that have written this book, that, that that have we have this New Testament now that fulfills the Old Testament, and through this book, Jesus feeds his sheep. And third, we see it illustrated in the life of John, don't we? While Jesus led Peter, ultimately laid down his life as a martyr, what do we find John doing? He's writing this gospel. He's writing scripture. And let me just ask you, have we not, over the last year and a half, spiritually feasted on Jesus through the gospel of John? Have we not week by week been nourished in our hearts through what John did here? He wrote this book, and week by week we have been seeing Jesus, being fed by Jesus. And so John illustrates for us what what Jesus is doing. He uses his sheep. And this all comes then to the main idea for this sermon, this final chapter in the Gospel of John. This is what John wants us to know about Jesus as, as we close this book. Jesus is our chief shepherd who lovingly shepherds us as we feed his word to one another until he returns. Jesus is our chief shepherd who lovingly shepherds us as we feed his word to one another until he returns. And so he's the chief shepherd and we are his sheep. He nourishes our souls when we're hungry. He restores us when we fall. He leads us in the direction we should go. We are helpless sheep. And as the author of Hebrews says, he is the great shepherd of the sheep. He's our shepherd. But here's the thing. In this present age, Jesus shepherds us through one another. He calls us to feed his word to each other. And so here's the thing. If you recognize this morning that you are a helpless sheep, you say, yes, I agree. I am a sheep. I am helpless. And if you look to Jesus and say, he is my good shepherd, then you have to recognize that your good shepherd, Jesus, has provided shepherding care through his people, feeding his word to you. You you can't have Jesus as your shepherd if you're unwilling to have his people come and shepherd you. He's called us to feed his word to one another. And in his wisdom, he has chosen to magnify his greatness and grace by using us. Just like he did with the disciples, he feeds us, And then he says, now you feed my sheep. 
And so there are three applications to this truth. The first is, is just want to call you to trust in Jesus as your shepherd. Uh, if you have not done that, if there are any children here who have not done that, have not looked to Jesus and, and, and said, I, I am a helpless sheep. I, I have gone astray. I have sin in my life. I, I deserve death, but Jesus laid down his life for me. Trust in Jesus as your shepherd. Know that he's paid the penalty for your sins. And if you would believe in him and trust in him and say, I want to follow you, Jesus, as my shepherd, then you will be in his flock forever. And so trust in Jesus as your good shepherd. There's no other good shepherd but Jesus. Second, those those of us who are in Christ's flock, receive Jesus' shepherding care. Receive it. Receive his shepherding care. If Jesus has chosen to exercise his shepherding care over our lives by calling us to feed each other with the word, then we need to receive his care by casting our nets where he's instructed us, don't we? We need to cast our nets where he says. And, 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 and so what, what does this mean? Well, well, by all means, it means that individually, we should each be opening our Bibles day by day and feasting on the word. I mean, that, that is definitely what it means. It, mean, it means that, that as Peter and the apostles uh, were led to write down this book, that, that we should re- realize Jesus feeds us through this book. He feeds us through his word. And so, so if we need a shepherd, if we're helpless, how would we not open this every day of our lives and say, Jesus, shepherd me. Jesus, feed me. I'm helpless without you. And, and so we, we open the Bible and we read it and we're fed by Jesus. But, but church, that's just where we should begin. Like that's, that's just the beginning for us. We, we need to receive a shepherding care by, by also hearing and reflecting on the ministry of the word. That, 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 that happens at times like right now. That's going to happen as we go into build, as people preach and teach the word of God. We receive it. We reflect it. We recognize that Jesus has, has put people in our lives to study and to labor and to teach the scripture so that we can hear him. And so we receive it. And then, and then beyond that, we, we receive it from each other. When a brother or sister comes and gives you biblical counsel, when they come and give you a warning or they come and give you encouragement, they, they reprove or rebuke or admonish or encourage, you receive it as far as it is biblical, as far as it reflects the word of Christ to you. You, you, you realize Jesus in his wisdom has put the church in my life as his means to shepherd me. And so I'm going to receive his shepherding care. But here's the catch, and this leads to our third application. You can't receive that kind of care unless you give that kind of care. Like, like we're not going to ever come here and receive shepherding care from each other unless we are all coming to give shepherding care to each other. If we all come just ready to receive it, no one's going to get anything. And, and so extend Jesus' shepherding care. Don't just receive it. Extend his shepherding care. When Jesus feeds you through personal Bible study, feed someone else with that. When Jesus feeds you through preaching and teaching, extend that to one another. Do do it over our fellowship meal. Discuss how to apply it to our lives. Help them to do the same. When Jesus feeds you the truths of the gospel, extend that into the world where there are lost sheep who have still not heard the voice of Jesus. Church, if there is joy in, in receiving Jesus' shepherding care, how much more joy is there in extending it? And seeing Jesus, save, feed, protect, restore, lead, help his sheep through your life, knowing that he's using me. How much more joy is there in that than than simply keeping it to yourself? And so extend his shepherding care.
as the music team comes to, to lead us in a time of response, I, I want to just read from Psalm 23. Have you listened to these words from Psalm 23? If, if Jesus is your shepherd, if he's a shepherd who laid down his life for you, and if he's a shepherd who perfectly cares for you, if he's a shepherd who will return for you and bring you into his glory, then what else, what else could we possibly want? And what else could we possibly need? So, so this morning, let's rejoice in Jesus. And let's hear these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. I shall not want. He leads me beside still waters. I shall not want. He restores my soul. I shall not want. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I shall not want. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I shall not want. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I shall not want. Jesus is my shepherd. I shall not want. Let's stand and rejoice in Jesus this morning.